say, uh, the greatest decision you'll ever make is to trust Christ as your Savior. And what I mean by that is not just a head knowledge, but a heart knowledge. The fact that you know that you're a sinner, that uh, that sin will send you to hell one day, unless you do something about it. And that something about it is why God sent his son to this world. Jesus Christ on an old rugged cross there took your punishment, your payment for your sin upon himself, placed to his account the son of God's, and he died and shed his blood for all of our sins. And they buried him. And three days later, he rose from the grave. He's alive. We have a living Savior today. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Amen. And the Bible says, if I will believe that in my heart, and that has me, I believe the facts of that, but now I'm acknowledging that is for me. Uh, he died for me. He rose for my justification, for my rightness with God. And I'm putting my faith in who Christ is and what he alone has accomplished. Not church membership, not baptism, not giving your money, not doing good deeds or keeping the commandments, whatever it might be. It's faith alone in that gospel alone. Christ died, was buried, and rose again. Amen? Okay, I could go on and preach that a little bit, shouldn't I, huh? <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, but speaking the truth in love that we may grow up. Title of my message this morning is Young People, We Tell You the Truth Because We Love You. <laughs> Just that simple. Uh, we love you. Today, uh, we're under attacks like never before. It seems like we're in a war today. We're being attacked by the world, the flesh, the devil. And they are relentless adversaries. They are always trying to pull you away from God, from Christ, from his word, from a Christian life, and so on. And it's an all-out war. I believe the devil knows his time is short. <laughs> and so he's going all out at this time. And he's trying to get people to do what he wants them to do. So we're being attacked by them. Uh, we're being attacked by neglecting homes. Uh, a home should be a safe zone, love, the most supported place that anyone can go to. And uh, it's unbelievable some of the stories of the home conditions some of our kids have to live in. And it's by parents who neglect their responsibility. Uh, today, you're not just talking about one or two, you know, mom and dad. Uh, today, with lots of kids, not all, thank God, but lots of kids, there are multiple moms and dads, and very little love is then shown to their children. We're being attacked by drugs. Not much is said about that, but if we truly knew the number, it would blow our minds. Uh, I was watching a report the other night on TV where uh, the cartel 
the Mexican cartel are already in Texas 200 miles past the border spreading their drugs and they're just taking it mile by mile and it's just because of drugs and uh, we haven't seen anything yet in this country of what it's going to be like because we've allowed that but the devastation of lives that drugs has caused it's unbelievable when you watch somebody go downhill on drugs I've seen them and it just breaks your heart and then uh, we're being attacked by Hollywood's entertainments uh, sports figure standards uh, the world tries to hold them as the standard to live by. And they live, many of them, not all, thank God, but many of them live standards that we shouldn't live by. Uh, they live by immoral standards and materialistic standards, and on and on it goes. And that's feeding the minds of our young people today. We're being attacked by government and much of our public educational system. Now, I know there are pockets where some schools uh, still try to uh, teach reading, writing, arithmetic, <laughs> science, and so on, and uh, morality and things like that. There's a few. But overall, uh, they are only permitted to teach what the liberal unions will allow them to teach. And that's permeating our educational system today. And then also we're being attacked by, uh, bombarded by uh, things going on in our country. Uh, it seems like we're being brainwashed in a sense. We're being uh, bombarded by humanism where man is the center of everything. And that's an exclusion of God. Man is a pip compared to God. Amen. Amen. And then bombarded by socialism. Uh, we're seeing a socialistic, communistic mindset being taken control of some of our members of Congress and Senate and cities and things like that. You never thought you would ever see it. And they promote cancel culture, do away with our system that we've followed for so many years, defund the police, and these crazy things. And when somebody comes and you have no police, it's going to wish, you're going to wish that you had funded the police. Amen? And thank God for the Second Amendment that we can bear arms to protect ourselves, but they're going to do something like that. And then critical race theory that uses woke and systemic racism, the 1619 Project, and the only problem, they say, is that you're born white. And then you're racist because you're born white. And that is completely against Scripture. As you'll learn here coming, we're of one race. Uh, we're all red-blooded Americans in this room here. And we should always represent. We're against racism of any type because we're one blood. Amen? And then also... They teach evolution theory as a fact. And if you want to believe you came from a rock or you came from an ape, that's your decision. But some of you I question, but, I, <laughs> but it's just not for us. Uh, we believe God created us. 
and uh, here in a couple of weeks, we're going to have answers in Genesis with it. And let me just say, they are top-notch. They are terrific. And I can't say enough. You need to be here. If you want to learn how to answer against these things that's bombarding our young people today, you need to be here. It's going to be a blessing, I promise you that. And then politicians and government control. Uh, they're coming on the scene now, and they're saying to us, we know what's best for you. It left the government, you know, is a servant of the people. It used to be we the people and the government a servant, servant of the people. It's not that way anymore. Uh, we're, we're the ones sitting in the seats now, the high places <laughs> in a sense. And you need to believe what we say. We know what's best for you. I've said before, I have a sign up in my office that shows some Indians with their rifles, and the phrase is, uh, turn your guns in. The government will take care of you. And we know how that turned out. Amen? <laughs> they want to control what you think, what you do, what you drive, what you eat. They are to be believed as the absolute final authority how much you can make, the taxes you pay, how much utilities or energy you can use for your own place, and they want our children too. And so they want control of all of that. But let me just remind you that the state does not own our children. Amen? And don't just let that slip away. And then we're being bombarded by media control, spying. Carol and I were sitting in our front room. It was late one night, uh, not late, but about 10.30, and uh, she said something to me, and Siri answers her and says, I don't know that. I mean, you know, here we are, we're just having a conversation, and they know everything about you. And uh, it's interesting how that's happening. I, I like what Ben said. What would happen to all of our people if we didn't have phones and computers or cable TV? We would have to take a lot of tranquilizers, wouldn't we? Huh? We just have to have those things, and we go crazy. But we're seeing a new downgrade of America. America is sick, and our kids are growing up in that. God help our kids. Young people, please understand something. Too often... When young people fail, what they normally do, they begin to blame everybody and everything else. And the first one they usually blame is their parent. I understand that. I, I was raised up with a single mom. Uh, my dad took off with mom, left her with 10 kids. And uh, we were welfare products, went to foster home for a little while. Didn't have a dad around. Met my dad when I was 42. I, I understand what it means when all these things are happening in one's life. But we can't blame them for us. And then they'll blame their environment. Then they'll say they're victims. Then they'll say they have some disorder. And boy, the psychologist will give you a disorder if you want one. There's all kinds of names for you. <laughs> Uh, they'll blame in order to excuse themselves from responsibility. And you don't want to fall into that trap. Uh, some people say, well, it was my home I was brought up in. Well, Adam and Eve, 
They lived in a sinless, perfect paradise. But they sinned and they failed. And you know what they did? They blamed each other. It's that woman you gave me. They blamed the serpent, you know, and then they even blamed God. That's what happens a lot of times. Isaac had a home that was godly. Uh, he had Esau and Jacob who were opposites who fought each other and they're still fighting today in the Arab world in Israel. Then there was Jacob's home, 12 sons, but 11 sons hated the 12th son, Joseph, and divided and sold him off in slavery. And then not only his, but there were wicked kings and wicked fathers. And in the midst of all these wicked fathers, one young lad, 16 years old, 11 when he started, I believe, he started and he, when he was 16 became the king. His name was Josiah. And he followed God. In spite of all the precedents and the legacies that had been led prior to him of being wicked, he stood up for righteousness. And then there's David. David was the apple of God's eye. He had several children, but he also had a couple that didn't turn out too good. Same household. He had Absalom, who wanted to overthrow the government, and he had other sons that didn't serve the Lord. And then there's Samuel. He had a godly home. He was a prophet. Samuel was loved by the people, but you know his sons would not serve the Lord? Whatsoever, they wouldn't serve the Lord. Now, the question comes, why all the differences? They came from the same godly homes or the same wicked homes, and people turn out differently. And my answer to that is this here. Regardless of our circumstances in life, apparent or environment, each person makes their own choice and their own actions. You just have to answer for yourself. Romans 14.10 says this here. Romans 14.10, I probably didn't do it. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And uh, that's not it. That's okay. Yeah. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And it goes on to say, and we must give an account of ourselves. Nobody else will give an account for you, and you can't give an account for somebody else. You make your own decisions. Homes and parents can affect and influence you, but you yourself determine your own actions and your own decisions. We understand that parents one day, they will be held accountable. They will have to answer to God for their bad or their good influence. But parents are not the final reason a person turns out good or turns out bad. That's the individual person's decision. And especially if you've believed in Christ. If you've believed in Christ, regardless of the circumstances all around you, you can go beyond and above those circumstances because now you have Christ. That's why it's so important to get these kids away and let them hear the gospel, let them hear the truth and how they should live and so on. Amen? Now, you'll have some battles, no question about it, as a young person. You're in a fight for your mind. Your mind is constantly being assaulted with anti 
Bible anti-Christian viewpoints and values. You're going to hear that more than ever before. You know, it used to be when Easter would come around or Christmas, they would mention the name of Christ and they would celebrate it and they'd have uh, programs, singing songs of the faith and so on. You don't ever hear that anymore, do you, hardly? On the cha- they did that on the secular channels, and they hardly ever do that. But you're going to be, it, it's an attack on your mind and how you think. And then also, there's a battle for your body. The world wants your body, wants your flesh. It wants your purity. It wants to take that away from you and be able to use it for the world's viewpoint. Amen? And then there's a battle for your family. I think it's important for young people to see this viewpoint, that the devil wants to destroy your parents, your brothers, your sisters, and they want to destroy you. You need to look at that viewpoint sometimes. I think if we get so wrapped up with ourselves, we forget he wants to destroy mom, dad, brothers, sisters, and you, he wants all, and you might be their only hope. You might be the only one in the family who loves God, wants to serve God, who will stand for God, but let me encourage you, stand for God. Don't ever be ashamed of that. Uh, I come from a family, a lot of kids, a lot of in-laws and things like that. I remember after I first got saved, they thought I'd gone insane. They said, what's wrong with him? <laughs> but I'm grateful that before every, every one of them and my last sisters, all of them have trusted Christ now. But I don't think I'd ever had an opportunity to say, listen, Christ is your answer, if I had not been living it and had some type of credibility. It's important that you stand up regardless of what they say to you or how they treat you at times, whatever it might be. You just stay faithful, and I, God will open the door for you, I promise you. And then there's a the battle for your soul. Now, if you're already saved right now, that's good. That means that the devil can't ta- touch your soul, okay? But he still wants to destroy your life, and you're in a battle. Now, there are some keys for you making it. There are some simple things that you have to do in order to be able to withstand and be able to stand and please God and have a life that really matters, a life that really influences. Here's your first key. Number one, develop your own relationship with God. Develop your own relationship with God. Your faith is not your parents. Your faith is not your brother, sister, your friend. Your faith is your own. And as a result of that, you need to daily pray. Talk to God. He's waiting on you. You need to daily read the word of God. You need to get involved in your church with a youth group or whatever it might be. But I found out the more you put in it, the more you get out of it. And while you're in there and you're, I remember when I was saved and I'm sitting back and I felt like a bump on a log. I said, this is the most boring thing in the world to be a Christian. And then 
I went out on visitation, and I realized God could use somebody like me to talk to people about Christ and win people to Christ. And that changed my whole thinking about Christianity. There's a place for me. <laughs> and let me say, there's a place for you too. But you have to get in, get involved to find out what that place is. So stay faithful to the house of God. Secondly, begin to take responsibility for your own conduct and your own behavior. Uh, don't make all these excuses. Stop having pity parties. Poor me. Look at what I have to go through. When you feel that way, go down to Riley Hospital and look at the kids and come back and thank that. Amen? Number three, don't follow your thinking. If you follow your thinking, you're going to get in trouble. The Bible states in Judges 21, 25, in those days there was no king in Israel, no leader. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And when man does what's right in his own eyes, the nation went down. And you'll go down too. You should thank what God says. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Thy paths. Put your mind to the things of God and let that permeate your thinking. And God will bless you for doing that. And number four is one of the most critical ones where most people fail. Run with the right crowd, the right friends. It's critical. Critical. You are who you run with. Amen? Psalm 119, 63. I am a companion of them that fear thee, of them that keep thy... Get around somebody who believes the word of God and is trying to live it at least. Proverbs 13, 20. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Amen? Get around people who are more educated than you, more smarter than you. I remember I went to Tennessee Temple. Uh, I became friends with two jet airplane mechanics for Delta. We went to Bible school together. We studied together. We became friends. We loved each other. They elevated my learning. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, and peace. Now get this, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Get around people who want to please God. Amen? And number five, find out, understand your potential. The world, your friends, don't determine your potential. They will pull you down. I remember when I was working, I had one foot in the church, one foot in the world when I got saved. And it was a battle. I had friends, but they weren't the right friends. And I'd live for Christ, then I'd fail. I'd get back up. Live for Christ, then I'd fail. Get back up. And I said, golly, I'm tired of being defeated all the time. Till finally it dawned on me, every time I'm around them, I falter. And I broke it. And I still loved them, but I've left them. 
And as soon as I left them, I noticed I started having more victory in my life. They weren't there to tempt me, to pull me down. Amen? Young lady and a young man went into Dr. Spurgeon and said they wanted to get married. She was saved. He was lost. Dr. Spurgeon said, are you sure you want to do that? He's lost. She said, oh, I love him and ill changing." He said, here's the problem with that. He says, get up on this table. She said, what? He said, get up on the table. She got up on the table. He took her hand. He said, now pull me up. She couldn't pull him up. If you know Charles Spurgeon, he's a little heavy anyway. She couldn't pull him up, but he just took his two fingers, just pulled her right down. It's easier to pull somebody down than it is to lift them up. And if you're around those people, you'll never find out what God has placed inside of you, the potential that's available for you right there. Notice this. I take that as an amen. <laughs> okay, now. The world saw in Abraham as barren. God saw in him nations. The world saw in Jacob a schemer. God saw in him, changed his name to Israel, prince of God, 12 sons for 12 tribes. The world saw in Moses an escapee, a murderer. But God saw in him a deliverer and a lawgiver. The world saw in David he's only a shepherd. God saw in him a king, a warrior. The world saw Peter as a failure. God saw in him a leader of the 12. The world saw Saul of Tarsus, Pharisee, religionist, radical persecutor. But God saw him as the apostle Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, revealer of the gospel of grace and mystery program. Notice how this works. Acts 7, 58. I'm trying to hurry. And cast him out, Stephen, and stoned him, Stephen. And, in, and the witness laid down their clothes at the young man's feet, whose name was Saul. You see that? Saul, Saul of Tarsus, just a young man, but a Pharisee. Acts chapter 9, verse 3. And he, Saul of Tarsus, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the ground, to earth, and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. If you strike his believers, you're striking him. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks, the conviction. And he, Saul of Tarsus, trembling, astonished, said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? There we have the conversion of, the, of Saul of Tarsus who became the Apostle Paul. It shows you that God saved him out of his sin and placed in him great potential that he could fulfill if he would dedicate his life to Christ. And all Paul said was, what do you want me to do, Lord? And it states at the end of his life, 2 Timothy 4, 
For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day when he dies. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. This man, Lord, what will thou have me do? Say, dedicated his life to Christ at that moment and lived for God until the end of his life. He's ready to be beheaded. And here he is saying, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I finished my course. I brought to completion the potential that God had placed in me when he saved me. And I say to you today that God has potential in you and if you dedicate your life to him, he can fulfill that potential. The world looked down and saw an old rotten sinner by the name of Jim Debney. He was a low life, loser, great sinner. But God saw in him a pastor. I never wanted to do anything else. Went to Bible school and I... I just want to be a pastor. I couldn't explain that until my teacher said, it is, if a man desire the office of a bishop, the word desire, it's the same word as it is, uh, uh, it is what? For it is he which worketh in you both to will and to do the will of God. That word to will is the same word in the Greek. And it means that God placed into me the desire to fulfill the potential he has for me for my life. Now, I could have done a lot better. I understand that. Don't get me wrong. But all I'm saying is I am what I am by the grace of God because he placed in me, and he's done that for you, young people. And adults, he's done that to you. What we've allowed is for the world and the cares of this world to drain us of our desire for God. We become lukewarm. You know, it's just a passing thing. Give Jesus a nod every now and then rather than wholehearted with our very being. I close with this, young people. Ecclesiastes 12.1, Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. While the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Remember now the creator in the days of thy youth. The best time to make a decision, go all out for God, is when you're younger. Paul said this, 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. When I think of a young person who's done that, who's been an example of that, and there are a number of them. I think of Tim Tebow. I think of him and his steadfastness to his faith and his belief, and it all started when he was a young guy, just a young boy. But that faith germinated, and he came to a point, he said, God, I'm dedicating my life, whatever you want me to be, that's what I'll be. 
And as a result of that, that potential that God placed in him, he began that journey, and he's trying to fulfill it. You can, in your own way, in your own path, in your own life, God wants to do something with you. He doesn't want you just to be obscure on the sidelines of nothingness. He has something that is great you can do if you dedicate your life to him. Amen? With God, all things are possible. I know that's to the Jews, but in a sense, that's what grace is all about. He picks up sinners, and he sends them marching toward the throne of God. And when we get there, let's be able to say, I finished my course. I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. Father, we love you. Thank you for all of our young people. We love them. We want the best for them. We want them to come forth and shine as gold. Lord, even young people who've been saved or young people who are saved even have failed. God, I pray today that get up and wipe the dust off. We're not here to condemn anybody. We're here to say, let's go for Christ. Let them wipe the dust off and just go forward from this point on for your honor and your glory. And as an adult, may we be willing to do that in Jesus' name. And everybody said? We hope that you received a blessing from today's broadcast. We would love to have you to visit us in person. You can watch us live and view past services on our website at gpnd.net. For more information, please visit our website or contact us by phone. Until next week, may God richly bless you is our prayer.